We just live right now, man. It's going down, excited for the season. You know, we coming off a playoff win. I mean, you know, we had a couple wins. <laughs> Suck it, Toronto. To think that, that a season is championship or championship is, is um, certainly the way we've approached it. To the Miami Heat fans, it was uh, you're despicable people, and I hope I never hear from you again. Milwaukee, we dogs! James Harden is a massive choker, and he is a bum. Bum. Finals MVP, Giannis Antetokounmpo. Bogdan Bogdanovich. Karma. Karma, bitch. Chris, you did it, huh? Hello and welcome to the Brew Hoop Podcast. I'm Adam Paris, co-managing editor of BrewHoop.com. We are recording this late Sunday evening. The Bucks are up 3-1 in their series against the Bulls, and I am thrilled, thrilled to be joined by a couple of, of Bulls haters, Riley Feldman and Kyle Carr. Fellas, how are we doing? We're doing good. I'm very pleased that we're recording this after the uh, the successes of Games 3 and Game 4, because if we had chosen to record... After game one or game two, obviously the mood would have been a little bit different. Uh, I'm very glad that they came around and they showed that they can play actual basketball, so that's good. Otherwise, everything's cool here. It was really warm here. It was really warm across most of the Midwest. We have our rec volleyball league starting tomorrow, and it's a high temperature of 40 degrees, and we don't play until 7 o'clock at night, so it's going to be brutal. I don't know how to prep for that, but... uh, I'm looking forward to that starting, at least, so uh, it's pretty good by us. The only way you prep is just by wearing shoes. Like, you just suck it up. Like, you just, <laughs> like you're just going to have to understand that you will get sand in your shoes, and that is better than freezing your feet on the sand. Like, that is, that's just how you prepare. Um, that's why I was, I was like, do I do I run around the court a couple of times first to make sure my feet are warm or something? I had no idea what no. this is. I'm probably going to do shoes, yeah. Do okay. shoes. Like, the thing with the sand is... It's it's the kind where it's just like you, your feet just get numb, and then it hurts to walk after. Like once you're done and you're trying to walk around, like I'm so I don't know if this is at a bar or something. That's when it just starts getting painful, even if you put on flip flops. So no, keep your shoes on. Like just suck it up. Trust me, I've, I've done this as well. It's not fun, but I'm good. I survived the weekend. Emma was gone for a bachelorette party for the, the weekend, so solo parenting two kids is an adventure thankfully saturday i just went to my mom's place and she got to have a great grandma day with sterling so that was kind of fun but yeah survived um just like milwaukee survived game one that is that's an incredible transition i just need to say real quickly the longer i've been away from the midwest the more your both of your conversations about 40 degree going out and playing volleyball and just being like, well, at least we can get outside is seeming crazier <laughs> and crazier. So, but but I respect the hustle. And another team that hustled finally after uh, the lackluster games one and two were the Milwaukee Bucks. They hustled the Bulls right off the court. So game four was a 119-95 win. Giannis had 32 points, 17 rebounds, seven assists. Really got going in the second half, only 12 points in the first half. So it did a lot of damage later. Grayson Allen, once again, another eruption for the second straight game. 27 points on 12 shots, three steals. Drew looked significantly better offensively. Part of that was just shots going in. He still missed some bunnies and that kind of stuff. But 
seems to sort of be the true experience. And he looked he looked much more confident in this game, though, than I think we had seen up to the series prior. So Bucks now have a 3-1 series lead. We'll talk a little bit about game four and then the series as a whole. But Riley, what did you see in game four that, that stood out to you as the Bucks took uh, took advantage of the Bulls once more? The consistency of the way Milwaukee executed its plans on both ends, because game three, we bring Bobby Portis in and immediately the defense is like, look, we're just going to double blitz uh, DeMar DeRozan and Zach Levine every single time they come off a pick and roll. And if it's big Vooch is going to beat us from perimeter, then so be it. I was a bit confused that Chicago didn't seem to have any adjustment whatsoever. So they got their doors blown off them. They barely score 70 points. I don't think the starters didn't get to 70 points. Game four comes around. I know the personnel is a little limited, but they they just didn't really have an adjustment at all. I think their biggest adjustment was early on, just really working hard to get like double screens to see if they could force DeMar DeRozan and Zach Levine into like better cash and suit situations. And yet they're need to shoot mid-rangers or really tough shots is so ingrained that like they just force them they're constantly on like the three-point line and or they would like jump into really hard shots so what jumped out to me was uh continuation of what the bucks did but probably more so the fact that the bulls just didn't they didn't have an answer uh their best answer was like once alex caruso went out with like a face contusion trying a couple of like deep deep bench guys and they just they they didn't have it for him so uh it was sort of run of the mill once it got going like that th- third quarter was a little iffy because the bulls kind of came back and the refs started calling literally everything a foul. Um, but beyond that, there wasn't, I mean, it was pretty formulaic for what the bucks did. So I, I think that's just a testament to we figured out our formula and the bulls don't have a way to get out of it as yet. Well, it was also kind of funny because in this game you have the first quarter, which I think Milwaukee was kind of feeling things out. You know, Giannis was he was still able to attack, but it was kind of more of a, all right, Drew's kind of going to get going. Bobby's going to have a couple buckets. Grace Allen might have, like, it was not really a Milwaukee. It wasn't like game three where Milwaukee just blitzed them right from the jump. And then it was over by then. Like in this game, it was like Zach Levine. I mean, Milwaukee was like consistently having a 10 point lead. And then Zach Levine kind of had his little mini run where I think he hit like four straight shots. So it was like, okay, whatever. And then after that, Zach Levine really didn't do much the remaining of the game. Um, I mean, he had 24 points, but it was on 18 shots. And a lot of that was just because he got free throws. Um, surprisingly, he had 13 assists, which I was surprised he was capable of getting that many assists. So good on him. But really, it was kind of the second quarter where that is when Grayson Allen was kind of hitting those daggers. That is when Drew Holiday's hitting some step backs. That was when you know you start seeing Milwaukee's offense not necessarily do anything different. The shots are just falling, but it was on the defensive end. And this is, you know, before Brooke gets in foul trouble and Giannis and Brooke are kind of able to just swarm the paint and just make it impossible for Chicago to get any decent look. So you're going into halftime, you're up 15. And yeah, the third quarter wasn't pretty, but every time Chicago came with the run, Giannis was able to come right back and get a basket. Giannis was able to come right back and get a dunk. I mean, it was just for him he was able to just step in and say, okay, Chicago's going to go on a nice little run. Maybe we'll get it down to like eight or around 10. And Giannis is going to immediately come back, get a couple baskets. And then it's suddenly a 12, 13 point lead again. I think Milwaukee even increased its lead by a point. So it's kind of funny that even though the third quarter wasn't pretty, Milwaukee still did enough offensively to make whatever Chicago did irrelevant. And by then, 
that it was just Giannis doing what he needed to. And Grayson Allen, it was Giannis and Grayson Allen kind of deciding, okay, we're going to end the series. It's over. Grayson Allen going six to seven from three is hilarious to me because Chicago spent all this time acting like Grayson Allen was the biggest like enemy of the state. And yet he's going to come in and in two games in a row, just completely outscore your team to make your team look fragile. And no one stepped up. Everyone's talking about, Oh, you know, you mess with their guy. There's going to be problems. You know, Tristan Thompson saying that Tristan Thompson needs to go worry about family court. To be honest, not, you know, <laughs> play basketball, but man's got to get a check. He played five minutes. He was a minus seven. Like, what are you doing here? Like, I get that. You got to pay fees, but still, um, yeah. And then the fourth quarter just came around and, Giannis and Grayson Allen were kind of do, able to do things. And Chicago decided to go to the zone because Giannis was effectively getting to the rim. And even when they're doubling him, Giannis was able to just split it, whether it was a spin, he had an up and under move that resulted in and one right out of the timeout. It's like, no matter what Chicago was doing and kind of the same, like what Riley was saying, you would think that they would have learned from their adjustments. Like they would have made some adjustments after game three, maybe doubling Giannis isn't a good idea especially when you have a shooter like Grayson Allen or Bobby Portis or Drew Holiday all wide open. Even Wes Matthews was chipping in threes. So then Chicago decided to go with the zone, which, again, the last thing you want to do when the team is feeling hot from three is to go with the zone. So whatever, good on Milwaukee. They did what they needed to. But, yeah, I think in this game it was kind of the even when Chicago had the run and got it down to like eight points, Milwaukee responded right back with Giannis and Grayson Allen. The, the thing from Giannis in this game was this was probably the first game that I noticed a significant change in the way that he approached things within the flow of a single game. So start the first half, DeMar DeRozan, I mean, he's getting some real garbage flop calls. I mean, it's it's the contact is minimal. Big Vooch does the same thing. Uh, embarrassing. He gets it once and then a second time Giannis just dunks on him or whatever, which is a beautiful thing. You could tell in the second half, though, whether it be Kyle, what you just said in, in that third quarter run, I remember tweeting from the brew hoop account of like, I need Giannis needs to take over here. And then like four straight possessions, it's either dunk, dunk, pass, assist, three, what like he just created. I think there was like a steal or a block. Like he did everything on both ends and that pushed the lead back out to 15. And you could see that his technique was, I'm going to still get into you. But he, he had the control where it's like, I'm not going to go so like over the top where it, as soon as you flop, it'll be whatever. He forced them to play defense because he engaged in like a traditional post setup there. And then like you're saying, Kyle, like, okay, you're going to so- throw like DeRozan and Big Vooch on him. Like, that's just, what are you going to do about that? And Giannis, between attacking with the right pace and then passing out, I just thought this was the first game where it's like, oh, this is... This is the Giannis game. Like, this is one of the Giannis games. So I was impressed with the way he adjusted to what the defense is doing to him. I thought the Bull, frankly, I thought the Bulls stopped flopping as much in the second half, and I'm not really sure why they stopped doing that, honestly. Like, it was clearly getting them a lot of success in the first half. Like, I mean, that is truly, I found that to be basically the best way to guard Giannis is flop. That Blake Griffin last year, the Nets series, it's essentially the best tactic. I thought there were drives in the second half where, Giannis bodied up to Rosen and he didn't flop. I'm glad to see it because I found it to be incredibly annoying, but I do agree that Giannis was able to find a lot more, a lot more patience, especially in the half court. I think the bulls have done a really good job actually of shutting down super easy baskets in transition. And I don't think the, I don't think like Giannis has been able to get out before they're able to get their defense set. He's been, so they've been doing, doing a pretty good job of shutting that down. But today you, you could see he also was finding 
other other mismatches as well. Like he wasn't he was trying to target Vooch pretty early on. He was trying to target other guys in the second half. If he if if he got a weaker defender on him, he was going to go at him right away. It, it, it seemed like a marked difference, especially from the last game where he was settling for jumpers early. This one, he seemed intent on going inside and he might've got a couple offensive fouls, but he definitely played. I thought, like you said, Riley, probably the most in control that he's been the entire series, which was, which was a nice sight to see um, in tandem with the the passing, which obviously looks better when it's getting paid off at a 51% clip from deep. That yeah. does help. I, I think with the bucks in terms of, Adam, you mentioned in the transition. I mean, Milwaukee hasn't gotten that many transition buckets. Um, I think in this game, they had like 19 fast break points. I think in game three, they only had 15. I'm pretty sure games one and two were not that high either. So it is kind of interesting to see how Milwaukee's not getting, it's not like they're racing up and down the floor, just flying by Chicago. It's like, no, like every time they've done it, it's kind of been more of a methodical it's been more of the ball movement that's happened and then what it doesn't. And you can tell like when the ball is moving, even if it's not resulting in a basket, it at least is throwing Chicago's defense out of rhythm as opposed to when it does gum up at times, then it's like, okay, well now we're just seeing drew dribble for like 13 seconds and then chuck up a shot. Like, do I trust drew? Sure. I trust drew to take that shot more than anyone else on the Milwaukee bucks roster. doesn't mean he should be doing it all the time. Um, So I think it is kind of just interesting that, despite the fast break points and why Milwaukee has been able to do it is because I mean, they got big Vooch and Tristan Thompson and Patrick Williams trying to guard the paint. And, you know, you get 44 points in 44 points in the paint. It's going to be pretty good. And it probably could have been even better had the ref been more consistent with the whistle. I mean, Milwaukee only getting 18 free throws is staggering, but, and I'm, and Giannis was pretty much taking all of those. I think he took like 12 of them. Yeah, I, uh, the bull, like, so games three and four are essentially what I expected the series to be, which is what makes games one and two so frustrating because the Bulls do not have the personnel to keep up with us, uh, when they're trying to defend us. Like, like you said, Kyle, like, you move the ball around once or twice. I mean, they're already flimsy as a defense as it is. And then you're going to ask them to rotate like more than once or twice. I, I, honest to God, over four games, I don't remember seeing Zach Levine do a single thing on defense. So like that's, and DeRozan's only getting like any sort of up because he's doing the flopping, but like Bobby was eating that dude alive uh, in both games three and four. So like, okay, so you have two, two out of your five guys are probably net negative defenders. Big Vooch doesn't really have it necessarily um, unless you throw another three guys to help him out or whatever. And then as soon as Caruso goes out and, Caruso, he was really reckless in like all of the games. And he's one of those guys that rides that fine line between reckless and like gritty or whatever, whatever you want to call it. He, and like, you know, that'll get you a dirty reputation. But he was like really physical to start game four and Drew like bodied him just to be like, okay, knock that off or whatever. But if he's going to be your lead defender, I mean, he's just too undersized. It's not going to work for you. So I, I think. I would be curious your guys' thoughts are like the shift from having Chris out there in games one and two, and then going to games three and four. Um, it's not that I, I think people go a little bit too far saying like, Oh, look at how wide open and fluid our offense is now. I mean, there were still a lot of times where Drew would like dribble around and then take like a step back weird, like, you know, baseline jumper or whatever. Um, I think 
the biggest difference is we we just don't have Chris throwing the ball away to the Bulls like seven times. And to be fair, this that's the same for the rest of the team. I think they've cleaned up a lot of their passing like significantly from top to bottom. Drew was right there with Chris with tossing the ball away all the time. And at the start of the games, they've been iffy, but they cleaned it up right away in games three and four. So um, I, I think it's hard to determine how much of it is like, okay, is this a stylistic difference because we have Bobby out there versus Chris, or is this more so simply they're cleaning it up, they're executing a little bit better, and that's simply all they needed. I think that's the one question I don't have an answer to right now. Um, But yeah, so that's that's probably my only like unknown at this point. Well, and Mitchell had said this on the Twitter spaces after game three, he was saying, you know, not necessarily like this is an indictment of Chris or saying like Chris is the issue, but when he was out, it made Milwaukee's offense much more simple in the fact that you have Giannis that's going to kind of be able to do a little bit of everything. You have Drew that's going to be able to do a little bit of everything. But otherwise, you got Wes Matthews that's out there. He's mainly there to shoot threes. Bobby Portis, if he gets a good look from three, he's going to take it, or if he's going to be down low. Brooke, if he gets the chance, he'll take it down low, or he can shoot a three. So for the starters, it was kind of a – the guys kind of knew what they needed to do. And then when you throw Grayson Allen in, it was – and Pat Connaughton, and it's like, okay, you two are going to come in, and you're going to shoot. So I, I think there is something to it that it's less on with Chris. It's like you can, you want him to kind of get to his spots and get in the rhythm. Like that's what you want to do. That's what makes Chris Milton really good. But at the same time, there is that element of you're taking away the risk of, you know, Chris dribbling it and getting himself in trouble and throwing a bad pass or getting sloppy or, you know, there is something to it. Again, that's not to say Milwaukee is a better team without Chris Milton. No, it's just, it makes it, I guess it just made it easier for the offense to flow a little bit more when everyone kind of has more of a defined idea of what they needed to do. And yes, Chris throwing the ball away along with Drew. That I think that was probably the biggest difference between games one and two and games three and four is, reducing so many dumb turnovers. I mean, yeah, Giannis still had four turnovers in this game. I'm pretty sure two or three of them were offensive fouls. Like there was not that many just boneheaded. What the hell are you kind of, what the hell are you doing type of fouls that we saw in games one and two. Yeah, I have the, I was looking at the numbers here. So the turnover percentage in games one and two was 18.1% worst in the entire playoffs. That includes the play in games. Jesus. Um, (laughs) really bad and that's literally that's really almost one in every five possessions you're giving the ball to the opponent that's really not good it almost felt worse than that honestly like when you were watching it it was terrible and then so then games three and four 12.9 percent that's that would be sixth best over that time um and it is much more in line with their sort of regular season number which if you actually look surprisingly i know they're they're like they are turnovers are maddening and they always stick out but the bucks did end up around like 10th in the league in terms of fewest turnovers which is which is pretty good and about what they did last year. I think one thing, obviously, you know, the ceiling is lower without Chris. I actually thought Chris was doing a very good job defensively, which was really heartening to see after what I would say was a really um, trying regular season. uh, Sandbagging. Watching him play. Yes, thank you. Thank you, Kyle. (laughs) That's the correct word. Um, Anyway, so I, I do think one issue with Chris in this series was that he thought he had a ton of mismatches. And and like, frankly, I didn't think he was doing that much against Alex Caruso. I don't think he was like doing that much in the mid-range, even against like DeMar DeRozan. And so I think when he thinks he has these mismatches and can just attack them, and then the mid-range shots aren't falling, and he's turning the ball over, 
and they're not like running as many sets for him. Like I, I just think it can frankly gum up the offense and then it simplifies it when I think Drew Holiday has a better mismatch against someone like Caruso. I think he can body him. I think he can body Levine. And I think there he's better at getting down to what can possibly be a higher percentage shot, which is, you know, down near the rim. Giannis obviously has mismatches. He has been having a lot of trouble in terms of finding his way, but I think obviously as the series has gone on, like like Giannis almost always does, he's found his way into the series. So I do think Chris didn't have quite as it, it on paper it might look like he has mismatches, but I, I don't think in practice they were quite as much or quite as pronounced as maybe I would have thought. And um, when when you only have two games to try and get into a rhythm and your shots aren't falling, and those two that two game sample size was really bad. And then all of a sudden, you know, in one game, the Bucks start making their threes. Like it's 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 not gonna it's gonna seem like the the Bucks offense is is better. But I, I do think part of it was the mismatches Chris might have thought he had didn't weren't as pronounced as I as I thought they might be, and that he wasn't effectively targeting them in a way that that would have allowed the Bucks offense to to thrive. And frankly, they didn't. They, these games have shown that they they didn't need him to isolate and attack mismatches. Like that's something that he could have worked at more as an off ball guy, just shooting threes. Like, and that would have been a good role for him. Yeah. It's a, uh, it's a shame that he went out because I wonder how much of his slow start, maybe we could be honest. He had, he had a down year for him um, pretty much across the board. Like he still had decent averages, but for him, for what we've expected, uh, probably a down year and you come into the playoffs and notoriously like the level of physicality, the energy goes up. Alex Caruso, Uh, is a pest but like you know he was jamming Chris a lot every time Chris would get the ball and you know if there's something throwing off your rhythm like that maybe that's something just with time you you kind of build your back up self back up to like playoff speed or playoff intensity for somebody like Chris where it's so rhythm based you know having a guy even if he is a lot smaller on Caruso I mean if he's not letting you really kind of not rest into but like ease into whatever your moves are going to be that could throw you off. So, so it is a shame, obviously for a lot of reasons that he picked up an injury because we, we are a worst team without him out there. Like he's just, he's by far the best jump shooter on the team. Like that's just, that's the truth. And for the way that we played in games three and four, like I said, Adam would be great to have him out there because there was a lot of open jump shots for people to have. Um, so the, the double shame is you're down him, what he's able to do on the offensive end. And if he's able to bring it on defense, but then getting him back sometime in the second round and then having to bring him back up to speed. You know, I think that that's, he'll get there, but that's the kind of the double downer that we have going on here with the injuries. Like he, he needs a little bit more time to get into it than, than maybe some other guys. And now you're going to miss, you know, like two weeks of having that. So that that's the real shame of it all. I think. What do you guys think of, what have you guys thought about the, the defense? So game one, the defense on paper looks good. I think it was not very good. And the Bulls were just missing a ton of shots. Frankly, so were the Bucks. Game two, the defense was was not good. And then all of a sudden they come out in game three, uh, allow just 81 points to the Bulls. And not just not just because I think the Bulls were just completely missing shots they should have made. That was like that was like the type of Bucks defense we have been basically waiting to see all year strung together across four quarters. So what have you thought, Kyle, about the defensive you know, shift from the first two games to what we've seen these last two. Weirdly enough, I mean, yes, Chicago missed a lot of shots, but I think Milwaukee wanted Chicago to take those shots. And I think that's what the biggest difference in, obviously, games, even the one game Chicago wins, Jamar DeRozan takes 31 shots. 
I would say nine times out of 10, you'd be okay with him taking 31 shots. It's just the issue was he was hitting about half of them. And like all the shots that Chicago takes is going to be by either DeRozan mid-range, Vucevic pick and pop or down low or Zach Levine, wherever he decides to shoot. And that's fine. You rather, it, it feels like those are the kind of guys where, because we know if Gerard Rose doesn't have it, he's not going to contribute. He's not going to help them play winning basketball. If Vucevic does it. Vucevic always has one game like that where he just seems to hit every shot that he needs to. And then it's like, okay, this is annoying. But whatever. And Zach Levine is kind of the same thing as DeRozan. So I thought they were fine because it's not like they're giving up open look after open look after open look. Like they were putting Chicago in areas that you'd want them to take those shots and in game two it was kind of more of a maybe they should have made some adjustment later on like later in that game like they should have made the adjustment at at an earlier point and it seemed like it was a little bit more of a too little too late and then games three and four i think the biggest shift was drew decided to then go on to rosen which is something that chris was kind of doing initially and while chris was doing a decent job and you know effort wise it was there I think just having Drew on there causes more issues for offensive players. So I think overall Milwaukee's defense has been good. Like I've not sat here and said, Oh my God, what are they doing? They are, this is, not, this is, if they lose a series, this is going to be why it was kind of more of a, they did what they did, what they wanted. It's just, you get one of those games that everyone in Chicago hits the shots. And again, Milwaukee could have easily won game two if they either hit their free throws or weren't so lackadaisical in the first half. So I, I would say overall, I've been impressed with it. I think the only concern is, and we saw it a little bit in game four during the third quarter, when both Giannis and Brooke are not on the floor, that's when I have more concerns just because it seems like Chicago is able to kind of go at Bobby a little bit more. So that's the only time I'm a little concerned is when Giannis and Brooke aren't out there. And I don't know if throwing Serge Baca is really going to fix that or if just rolling with Bobby Portis. But overall, I, I actually have been pretty happy. I've not been as frustrated or pissed off with the defense the Bucks have shown this series. Game three and game four. Game three especially, probably the best defense we've seen for them all season long. I was super impressed with the way that they came out. We talked in the days between game two and three, it was like, look, Drew's got to bring it. He's got to, he's got to up his effort a little bit. And part of that is, yes, we had different guys guarding DeRozan, but we know what he's capable of. And as Kyle said, Chicago has three options on offense and two of them are mid range merchants. And the third one's like a old big dude who shoots threes, Al Horford style, and maybe he'll tucker himself out. Boonholzer and company, made the exact right choice. They're like, look, we're just going to suffocate DeMar DeRozan and Zach Levine. No easy drives to the basket. None, 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 none. And it's helped by the fact that every single time for Chicago, they really don't have Vucevic like drive at all. And even then I, I doubt Levine or DeRozan are the type who would like pass all that readily out of an opportunity in the mid range. And so if you I loved the Bobby pick. We'll talk about Bobby a little bit more in a minute. I loved picking him off the bench because he has the mobility to like tag Vucevic, but then stay on on course and kind of help him off whoever the ball handler was. Um, by the time the third and fourth quarter came around in game three, you could tell those guys were like seeing ghosts. I mean, they, they were very reticent to go anywhere near the paint whatsoever. Um, the discipline to keep DeMar DeRozan going to his left hand. He is so right-handed. He cannot get into a comfortable spot. And then the final point is clean, clean defense, because this could be the type of series where you go to Chicago one, one, 
there could be a little bit of home cooking. I thought the third quarter of game four was an example of that. But the number of times that Drew stays right in front of DeRozan, halts, and goes just straight up. I mean, and even then, the ref still called some BS ticky-tack fouls on him. But I was just, between him, Wes, Brooke, and Bobby, those four guys, they executed at such a high level on the pick and roll to shut that down. And it's, it was almost immediate in game three. Like, Chicago was running on fumes. As, as soon as Vucevic's first, like, three didn't go in, it was like, oh, crap. We have no, like, answer right now. And that's how it was through the whole game. And like I said, they were jumping. Levine was, like, doing – he would get free from Carter and then do a step back back into defenders because, like, he just has bad habits. And the Bucks are taking advantage of all those things. So, I, you know, games one and two, if he game one is sort of a rock fight, nobody likes a rock fight. Like, you know, they played the right principles. Game two, um, probably – a little bit too easy for like DeRozan and company to get to the basket, but in games three and four, um, that's just a masterclass. I was really impressed with the way everybody played and heartening to see that you could have a Bobby Portis out there. You could have a Grayson Allen out there and the defense can still function at a high level. So I've been really impressed with the way they've played excuse me, though, especially the past two games. Yeah. I thought, I, I guess for me, I, I, I understand why Bud has Wes start on, DeRozan because it's a lot of going through pick and roll and it's a lot on your body. But for me, frankly, I think he's sometime over is overthinking this stuff. Like I think you should just put your holiday on DeMar DeRozan from jump. And I think he's a better defender on him. And even if, even if it affects Drew's offensive game a little bit, like he's prone to some core offensive out, outbursts as it is. Like it, it just kind of, it reminded me just a little bit of the, the finals last year when on in game one, he has PJ Tucker guarding Chris Paul and then game two, he's like, you know what? Let's just have our best defender guard the uh, engine of the Suns' offense. So I, I would, I wouldn't have minded that. the 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 thing that the interesting thing that you said, Riley, about like all of the defenders that you just named there in terms of guarding the pick and roll was that Giannis hasn't been in there. Uh, that you didn't list Giannis, I would say in that name. He he has been good at the rim in terms of 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 blocking guys, and obviously he's always there as a deterrent. I have not thought that him in the pick and roll against DeRozan, which seems like it should just be like a pretty easy switch for him and he should be able to kind of suffocate him. But I'm, I don't know if he's like getting nervous about fouling him. It kind of seemed that way. He seemed a little bit hesitant guarding him. That's been like the one thing that's kind of, I'm a little, I've been a little bit confused about because that should kind of be like the easiest switch that you could imagine. If you have Giannis at the five, he should be able to me to guard DeRozan, but um, I, I do agree. All the rotations and, and everything else have been really good on the backside when the Bulls are are trying to pass out, forcing DeRozan to his left, not letting him get comfortable, holding him to just nine field goal attempts in game three was absolutely nuts. Like that, that is crazy. And I mean, it's not like these guys are playing a few minutes. Like I, I didn't realize this. I was just looking at game four's minutes. Like DeRozan played 41 minutes, Vucevic 38 and Levine 42. Like the most any buck played was Drew Holiday at 37. Like hmm. Billy and this Donovan, is after Bud was initially trying to, you know, shut down the starters and then gave up like a swift six points. And Bud's like, all right, screw it, get back out there. Yeah, exactly. Like they, he was going for it because he knew they basically had to win. And he he had his people out there for a long time and the Bucks still shut them down. So really good defensive stuff. A few things I'm just kind of interested in to see how they look going forward. But uh, they've obviously clamped down. They've looked so much better. Uh, Brooke Lopez has been good at the rim, obviously. And. Um, yeah, shout out Bobby Portis, who has been able to navigate, I thought, 
very well there. Even when they try and maybe target him, he, he hasn't really been able to get be targeted by any, by any bull, because fr- frankly, they don't really have anyone who can do that much. Pat, Pat Williams is just being left wide open, like absolutely wide open. That's what I was going to say about Giannis. Like he- he hasn't had to do a whole bunch because they'll switch him out on either Pat Williams or like even in today's game, Hubie Brown was like, Oh, they switched him on to Alex Crusoe and Giannis would just like stand straight up <laughs> and give like Caruso eight feet on the three, three point line. and just kind of stand there. Like, you know, the bulls aren't doing a whole bunch to ask Giannis. Like anytime the bulls kind of get near the paint, usually, I mean, there's a whole bunch of bodies and like a, Brooker Bobby's already there as it is. Um, so it's one thing if Giannis has to, you know, he can swing in and like, you know, block a shot or whatever, be the help guy. Uh, when the Bulls are consistently stopping like three feet above like the elbow and then taking a shot or whatever, I mean, there's just not many opportunities for Giannis to get super involved. So outside of the couple of times he gets switched on to like a DeRozan to guard him, there just hasn't been a lot of work for him necessarily, which is fine by me. But a lot of the times it's like whoever's primary assignment is they, he doesn't even have to worry about them like or if they do get the ball his instruction is just let them shoot the ball so uh, good for you Giannis for f- following the instructions yeah I mean it's a lot easier when again Chicago doesn't really force Giannis to do anything especially with Giannis could just free roam and do whatever he needs to and then he just goes and grabs the rebound and it's a lot easier when your shot profile when you can pretty much count the three ways Chicago scores four ways Chicago scores baskets yeah, that that is true. That that is the that is the part about Giannis being able to roam is that the the Bulls are almost dead last in terms of percentage of shots at the rim or percentage of shots like within four to fourteen feet. Um, I mean, I would say surprisingly they've gotten up a lot more three pointers than I thought they would. Like that's been part of their, you know, they were last in the league in terms of percentage of shots that came from three, and they've been shooting more threes than I thought they would. So, I mean, they've been trying, but. I just looked, there were five of 19 on corner threes in game four. Like that is abysmal. The easiest shot in, in the game. And that was just, oof. they were, and they, the Bucks were leaving their shooters wide open. Well, I was going to say, I feel like Vucevic has averaged like nine or 10 threes a game. It seems like it's, it feels like Vucevic is literally taking multiple, like way too many threes. Like if this was Brooke Lopez, I would be like, get your ass in the paint. What are you doing? Stop <laughs> chucking up all these threes. And I don't know who in Chicago needs to tell that to Vucevic. Maybe it's too late. I mean, it's too late by now, but I, I feel like that should have been a conversation after game two. No, after game three, it's like, hey, maybe don't chuck up all these threes. Maybe just hang out in the paint and just cause more problems, especially when Giannis and Brooke are in foul trouble. What, one yeah. one more quick defensive thing that bugged me. I Anytime Vucevic has the ball in the post and Brooke Lopez is guarding him, just don't help down and try to dig and allow Vucevic to pass out for a three. I lose my fucking shit when that happens. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for swearing, but I just really get so upset when the Bucks do that. Please don't like, do hey, that anymore. Pat Connaughton, just stay on your man. You do Broke Broke is a huge man. Vucevic is a, mo- a huge man. They'll just they'll figure it out. Let the huge men fight it out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, like you don't have to try to be the crafty guy that gets in there to like help out and then leave <laughs> where your shooter <laughs> is because you're you're absolutely right that we're pro- you know we're not we're not being made to pay for that right now. Uh, and the overhelping has improved marginally, but uh, we have been overhelping pretty much all year long. So uh, something to keep an eye on that hopefully we can continue to stop doing that. Just to trust trust whoever the first line, second line defense is. The third or fourth line does not need to step in to like show <laughs> on whoever the driver is. It's not going to help out anybody. 
Okay, so what have we thought about? All right, so Grayson Allen, five points in the first two games, <laughs> goes off. I mean, how sweet is it for him, Kyle? You gotta, you gotta fold the franchise. Like, I, I feel like you gotta do it. Like, this is. It, it's Jalen Rose said it after. This is probably the one part of the NBA countdown, whatever, that was actual good insights. Jalen Rose said, you know, if Giannis goes off on you and you lose, that's going to happen. That happens to everyone. If Drew Holiday does that, you, you go, okay, that's fair. If Bobby Portis does it, yeah, that's fine. But when it's Grayson Allen, of all people, like that, you can't come back from that. And honestly, they should just end the series. <laughs> you, you cannot get embarrassed like that, especially like if the, Grayson Allen, of all people, is making your life a living hell. You, you got to fold. You got to fold the franchise. You, you got to just wait. You don't even play game five. Just forfeit it. it, it it'll save the embarrassment. It, I think more people understand after these two games, you just go, you know what? We're not going to win. We're, we're out. Instead of having another Grayson Allen masterclass against you. That I, I don't know. If I was a Bulls fan, I would be hating everything right now just because of all the people it's this dude that is lighting you up and just taking you to the rim he took Vucevic on and just bought like pretty much like gave him a little shove and just got the layup on him it's like how you gotta retire like this is embarrassing like even for a franchise like Chicago which is already at a state of embarrassment this is just worse it was so funny because the possession right before Grayson absolutely bodied Vucevic in the paint. Um, Vucevic like had free space with the ball and Grayson kind of like showed at him and Vucevic went like, he like, he like, he threw off his shot completely because Grayson like <laughs> kind of scared him or something. So it was really funny that Grayson then goes down to the other end and then just goes right through Vucevic. Uh, I'm sure this is utterly sweet for Grayson. Um, I know that, you know, it's very the athlete PC answer, like, oh, it's no big deal. He's been like, oh, I like the booing in like his Grayson Allen non-affect voice. Um, how, like, how many times have we been the team that's been on the receiving end of like the other team's Grayson Allen doing this to us? So what I look at this is this is karma coming all the way around and be like, all right, you guys get to be the one that has like the hated guy who goes and has the series, like two games of his life. This is the Bryn Forbes. I think he outscored DeMar DeRozan by like 15, almost like 20 points over games three and four. Uh, I mean, you know, if you want an indication for how good things are going for us, um, you know, like testament to him to, I guess, stay ready to come out there. I think he's been the biggest beneficiary of the fact that Giannis, as he's adjusted, has been looking to like more competently pass out. Um, like the number of times that, you know, they close the third quarter, like it's very simple. Giannis drives, two guys go at him. The Bulls defense has to rotate. Giannis passes out done, like simple as that. And it's not even just Giannis getting it to him. It's a lot of the other guys. So beneficiary of that. And he's just done what he did for the majority of this season, which is what made him effective was just, just either get the shot up right away. Or if you're going to drive, drive, like really commit to it. And he's like, it's odd every time it works because it looks like it's not going to work whenever he drives to the basket. And sometimes he gets blinders. I think he, when he drives, he's pretty committed. Like I'm going to shoot this no matter what. And sometimes that ends up in a bad shot. But a lot of the times, you know, that's just a whole different, that's a different fold to the defense that like, maybe you're just not expecting it as much. And then all of a sudden it's Grayson Allen who has like some size to him, like against whoever his man defender is and just trying to finish through contact. And he's been pretty good at that. So I, I think he's been good on that. And defense, he's been okay. 
you know, a number of steals, which is above what I would expect. So, uh, yeah, good on you, Grayson. It's been hilarious. I mean, and to do it on the road and like what could have been a raucous environment. And then just the Bulls fans like, boo, boo. I mean, it's just, it was really sad for the Bulls fans. So uh, good for them. I will say that's not too, Grayson Allen is doing pretty good for a fourth guard. That's getting 10 million a year. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I agree. Yeah. Oh, man. Which and, is like, uh, it's funny because now he moved up to second between Dante getting traded and George Hill just not playing. It's like he is your second guard, basically. <laughs> so I don't know. Like, I wouldn't want to be the type of dude to tweet that out, but I'm sure he's also the type of dude that's going to sit and cry in his basement later on today. <sighs> Very well, whoever that, whoever, whoever that mythical person might be. Yes. That yeah. kind of. <laughs> uh, well. Great. I, the only thing I could think of when Grayson was like hitting everything and then making his layups was uh, Dante uh, miss, missing. It gave you. It gave. Oh, and <laughs> I was gonna say it gave you some flashbacks. Here. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was laughing because uh, when you were saying, "Oh yeah, they haven't helped. They haven't overhelped as much this year." I was like, "Yeah, yeah." <laughs> there might be I a think, reason for that. There might be a reason that. Get your money, Dante. That's all I got to say. I, I mean, it, it, what what has to be so disgusting as a Bulls fan is like, okay, you expect the threes. Like he he's. A, a career good three point shooter. It's all like the stupid Garbo layups. You're like, oh my god, that that has to be the real kicker because you're like, okay, I can accept. ISO. <laughs> <laughs> it's just really, it was it was a sight to behold. He had he's a great series. I don't know if he's going to be effective past this series, but I'm extremely thankful. Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. He, like it matters for the Bucks, but also like whatever. It is what it is. And and this is like the perfect like he's shooting so well that we get such a big lead that you're able to allow like a Pat Connaughton who has been rusty but he had a better second half this game like okay Pat can get up a couple of shots or do something a little bit different without having the pressure of it's literally a six point game you can't f up any sort of possession so I think that alone even if we don't get much more it's like he gives other guys an opportunity by simply contributing to the success of the entire team to have some possessions. So, uh, and I'm sure that's exactly what he's saying is like this, this layup I'm about to take is actually for the team that that's what I'm doing this for. So good guy, Grayson Allen. Good on Grayson Allen. I think the other, we can talk about Brooke Lopez, but I think the guy we should talk about is Bobby Portis, who obviously Bud decided should take Chris Middleton's spot in the starting lineup. How have you thought he's, he's responded Kyle since Tristan Thompson um, broke his eye? I mean, again, what what good is Tristan Thompson bringing to the basketball court is beyond me. But if anything, if this leads to Bobby hitting another level, shout out Tristan Thompson once again <laughs> for being a bum. Um, no, it, it is impressive. Even in game one, Bobby came in. He was able to get a double-double. So even before the eye injury, hell, I think if Bobby was healthy, yes, losing Chris Hurd, but I think a healthy Bobby was oddly more impactful for Milwaukee's offense than anything else. But... It seems like it's the same thing as Grayson Allen. It's like you cannot have a motivated person come in, and Bobby obviously is going to want to rub it in Chicago's faces as well. So he, I think he's kept it simple as well. He's not trying to do too much. He's not, you know, overexerting himself. Like defensively, yes, there are still moments where, you know, kind of gets isolated and kind of gets picked on, but that's going to happen every once in a while. But I think he's also – it just seems like he's just doing very simple things. Like he gets the ball, no hesitation, and shoots it. Or he'll get it down low, and he'll get like a nice hook shot. Or you know, done a couple turnaround jumpers. So I think with Bobby, it's kind of this, like the simplicity of it all. And while it's still very impactful, 
I think it's also just one of those where it helps when you don't have to overthink and Chicago's giving you green light to shoot it and you don't have to think twice. You just shoot it. I love the rotation of the three bigs. I think Budenholzer's been really on top of that. Um, we've played Surge just like garbage minutes, essentially. Um, the ability to have all three of your main big men start and to pull them and kind of rotate them in and out together. I like starting Bobby with Giannis and Brooke because those are two guys who are going to be your backup or whatever. So that frees Bobby to um, kind of like do his like the hedging or like be really aggressive on the perimeter and not worry so much about like, I have to like get back right away because I'm, I am the guy who has to defend this. So I've loved that. Like Kyle said, he keeps it simple on offense. He has the mismatch. It's so fun watching him like, like post up DeRozan and then like turn swing and then get that really nice shot. Like he has such a pretty shot form. I love watching him shoot. Um, the three pointers have been nice. Like, and, and of course, having the goggles, he looks so funny with the goggles. I love it. Like, he looks like the first in game three, the highlights of it, he looks like a Terminator, like a like a villain or whatever from a 1980s movie. I, I don't know who picked out those uh, goggles for him, but I love it. Um, he's been, like, everything you'd hope for. And, again, another guy, it's like you have this starting position throughout the season. Understandably, he goes to the bench when Brooke is back. Like, I think he got it. Everybody got it. Everybody understood it. Then all of a sudden it's like, hey, Bobby, we need you to go back into the starting lineup. And just like it was throughout the entire season, games three and four, a lot of the early possessions offensively run through Bobby and he pays it off and we're kind of off and running like right from the get go. Uh, so I think I, I love the three big men lineup. I think it's these are valuable minutes for Budenholzer to get a vibe for like, OK, how does this work against certain schemes? Um, is this something we could go to later in the playoffs? So uh the only my only question is like who's been more impressive, Bobby or Grayson? Probably Grayson because Grayson did literally nothing in the first two games and now he's erupted. But uh, the the need to have somebody who is going to competently come to the starting lineup. Uh, looking back at it, it makes sense that Boonholzer went with uh, Bobby because it's like they're not going to have the size to keep up with us. And for the defense, we tried to play Bobby fits in exactly right with the other guys as well. So I've liked a lot what he's done. Yeah, and Chicago doesn't really have a a floor general who can kind of sort of pick, pick Bob, try and pick Bobby apart or like constantly, I wouldn't even, Bobby hasn't even gotten put in pick and roll all that much. I've thought, but when he has, like you said, Riley, like he's done a really good job in terms of the, the showing and recovering. That's, that's the, all those regular season um, reps really paying off. What, any, any, any other thoughts in terms of, of players, any thoughts on Drew or Brooke or Javon Carter? I'll give you a dealer's choice, Kyle. Can I talk about the rotation in general? Yeah, yeah. I think, oddly enough, Chris getting hurt and George being out has forced Boone. I think Boonholzer's only ran eight deep in non-garbage time. He's got his starters, and then he's gone with Pat Grayson and then Javon Carter basically as his options off the bench, which makes sense because when you have Bobby on the bench and then that's one person and you're taking those minutes away from someone else, now with Bobby in the starting lineup, it's like, all right, these these are the three. And even with Javon Carter, it's kind of more of a, we just need another ball handler out there just to give Drew a spell of time. But it's not like, I, I don't know if, the, if there's really anything that stands out from it. So I think Budenholzer being kind of forced to only go with eight has been beneficial for him. Um, and moving forward in the, ser- in the future series, like it's probably going to have to be the same eight 
you know, maybe you have to throw a Serge Ibaka in depending on, again, foul trouble for Brooke, Giannis, or Bobby. Maybe you start getting to the point where it's like, all right, well, if I need another ball handler and Javon Carter's not cutting it, do I go with Luca? Maybe, maybe go with Luca. So I, I think there is <laughs> issues. I, I think it's going to be interesting, but yeah, Boonholes are only going with eight. I I approve. Uh, yeah, I forget. I totally forgot. We do have to talk Luca. <laughs> we do. I, I think <laughs> we're going insane. to. So okay, I'll run through the guards then real Ooh. quick because we'll get to Luca then because it was a masterclass. Uh, shout out to Drew for getting his head out of his ass. Uh, he. <laughs> To me, he might be more annoying than Chris, because with Chris, I've come to expect the stupid sometimes. Uh, with Drew, it's it's almost like it's baffling when it does happen. You're like, you're you're like, you're so much better than just trying to throw it over three guys and it ends up in like Alex Caruso's hands. You're so much better than this, Drew. And in games three and four, like we saw what he's capable of defensively. We all know this. Like it's very good to see him get back to the level. I thought game four, he was really good offensively. It was kind of drew of most of this regular season where he would choose like baseline okay i'm just gonna do like quick move step back um driving like he he did a lot of good things uh so yes drew good to have him back he he needed to play better uh for the team when chris went down and he did so good for you javon carter knows exactly his assignment he he keeps up with the just like pressure the ball handler thing without making pretty much I, i think he's maybe fouled like once like act like within like a shooting foul. Otherwise it's just been like kind of uh, off ball fouls and stuff like that. I think he's been perfect for his super limited role. Uh, he doesn't have to do a lot offensively, essentially bring the ball up and hand it to Giannis and go away. And he, <laughs> he does that pretty well. Uh, and then Luca Vildoza, uh, one of the greatest five minute sequences I've, I've seen. I mean, I think Mitchell said in the group chat, these are the p- kinds of passes that get you pulled by like any other coach in any other situation because he was driving. He like around the world it behind his back to the night. He was just <laughs> slinging it around and it was it fantastic. Was, <laughs> it was gar- like Harlem Globetrotters type shit. It was, it was so razzle dazzle. And he, what was probably the funniest was when he checked in, he looks so small. He looks so <laughs> He's so scrawny. Watching him out there, I'm like, he's one of the smallest guys I've seen in so long. And yet he like has the one behind the back pass to Thanasis who decapitates like Pat Williams, I think, or whatever. <laughs> Just like this amazing. I have no idea if he has a future in Milwaukee, but he if should. he doesn't, he should. if he Please doesn't, should. those those five minutes he's oh he has to be there for summer league Please. for you adam he has God, to be yeah <laughs> i need him and mamu on a two-on-one fast break like i need this i need this uh, they're they really are gonna they're gonna have to get out the harlem globetrotters like um the theme music or whatever and just be playing that over. <laughs> but i think the thing with luca is just more like it seemed yeah. natural to him like he it was like this was not like some dude trying hard in a summer league it's like we're in playoff basketball yes it's garbage time but he just like takes a ball and goes like there is no pot like he takes the ball and he immediately like all right fast break and i appreciate that like if you're gonna be a garbage time player you need to give me entertainment it is more fun when you do that this is he he was like uh it's such a european like style of basketball it seems to me like you'll have these guys like uh milos teodosic or whatever it was a couple years ago like okay this dude's like a euro league whatever and he comes here and he starts doing like the most asinine passing you've ever seen in your life i'm like 
like, like this is the reason why nobody else does this. And yet like they show up and they don't know any better. So they just do that. Like, you know, entertainment value through the roof. Like I have to give mass respect to it because, uh, you know, if you're going to come out there in a big garbage time game, the best you can do is just make it a show. And you did. And it's a real shame. He was inactive today because there was a couple minutes uh, or maybe a couple more like crazy passes with Nicole. But yes, uh, maybe he'll be around for summer league. I have no other thoughts about his like actual impact. I hope. <laughs> I mean, I, 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 I do serious about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I do think if he was active for game four, the starters would have played the rest of the game. Like the start, like, the starters would have sat on the bench and the scrubs would have carried it out. Like he would have put on a masterclass. Like I do have that faith in him. I mean, it was, he had only played NBA preseason before, right? Like that's, this is his first like real NBA game basically. And he was making those passes. And, and the one that my favorite pass that I rewound to see was between his legs in rhythm pass to Serge Ibaka that he completely biffed. At the God, rim, Serge totally missed it, and it was such a good pass. I mean, like fr- frankly, those are some of the my like favorite passes by a buck in a long time because we just don't have anyone who who really does anything with that kind of flair. Really, the the coolest thing that happens is like Chris happens to like throw it be- between like two <laughs> defenders, and you know it wasn't like really on purpose. You're like, oh, that's cool. And then everybody, everybody tweets like, wow, Chris masterclass. And, and then Luca comes on like, I'll show you what it means to really pass a basketball. <laughs> I, I feel like it's either Chris like threads it through dudes or Drew just throws it up and Giannis just gets it for like, I think it's like those are the two situations. And no, no, Luca needs to come back next year. Uh, I, he, he's got to, I need it. If we're going to go through another 82 games of regular season basketball, I need as much entertainment as possible. I 100% agree. I am more than willing to tell the Bucks, don't bring Jordan War back. I don't need to see his shot anymore really, really late in game. That was a really rough flat shot. I mean, whatever. He can come back, whatever. But just got his two starts back. late in the season. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Kyle hit the number. <laughs> Please just bring Luca back. He, he he was fun. That What a cool moment for him. That was exciting. Um, All right. Uh. I don't know anything else from this series players that we want to touch on. Uh, not really. I feel like it, <laughs> this is exactly what I expected the series to be is yeah. Chicago's going to have one game that they'll steal because the bucks were stupid mm-hmm. and that happened in game two, but otherwise Milwaukee is just a better team. I don't know why you got to wait till Wednesday to finish this stupid thing out, but at this rate, it feels like it's going to be next week. By the time we record next week, the next, the Celtics, will probably that series will have started. Uh, I would just say the only one, um, Brooke, if you get a wide open three, please don't pump fake. Like two, two (laughs) things. Don't pump fake because it's stupid. Uh, You're already wide open. Just shoot it Two, everybody from top to bottom. Knock it off with the stupid threes. Walk up, jack up a three with like your three seconds into the shot clock please we've seen so many times just pass the ball two or three times and you'll get a wide open shot like you don't have to do this there's nothing more infuriating than when you're down or it's just a close game and Giannis or brooke lopez decides this is my moment and they jack up some stupid ass three i hate that oh my i'm sorry (laughs) how does bud not lose his mind watching that happen you know it's it's disgusting so let's improve on that brooke lopez hasn't had to do a whole bunch uh there's just been a couple of times where like i don't pump fake and drive just just shoot the three please just do what you did in game one just take it to the hoop 
Yeah. Or like, take, yeah, yeah, like he was critical in game one, like things bogged down and he stepped in. So that's it's like a good sign. Like, OK, he no problem. He can do that in games where he doesn't need to do that at all. It's it's fine, like no big deal. But if that's the case, like then just take the wide open three like right away. Don't mess around for it. So I think we've literally uh, I guess Pat would be the only other one. Pat's been. He yeah. just hasn't made it. Yeah, he, he's like three. He has, he's not making shots. Good look. Can't really do much about it. Got yeah. dropped. He he got Vooch on a hezzy, which was hilarious. So uh, good on him. <laughs> I, I think I think if he hits like the right streak, like a Grayson Allen, uh, that's that'll help out a lot of like. It's not even that we've had rotation issues, but that that'll we'll be cooking with gas if Pat starts hitting threes again the way they because he does everything else that he does pretty except for helping dig or doing stupid overhelp defense. Everything else he does is pretty much like spot on exactly what you need. So from top to bottom games three and four, there's not really much to complain about except for our subs at the end of game four. sucking so bad that the, because they had to Luka. come back in. Yeah, it's, it's true. Yeah, that was rough. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's so strange how quickly, it, I mean, this is a, this was a very helpful reminder of how quickly the series can go. And now, Two games later, it's essentially what most of us were saying, which was, well, the Bulls could maybe get a game if they shoot really well. And then they did one game and they've taken one game. So we'll see. The The next game is on Wednesday. We'll see if the Bucks can close it out at home. I kind of wanted to ask ask you guys about any other thoughts in terms of the Eastern Conference playoffs so far. I, I think we could touch first on the Boston-Brooklyn series since the winner of that one will be the who the Bucks play. So I don't know. Have you have you I don't know if you've watched any of it or just have any sort of general thoughts about the Bucks outlook and, and what might be coming up next. I'll just go through the whole East. It's pretty much gone what I expected. The only one besides Sixers Raptors, it has gone how I expected. Miami probably would have swept Atlanta if it weren't for a disastrous fourth quarter for them in game three. Boston defensively just putting Brooklyn in hell. And I think that's been the biggest standout. I figured Boston would win, but I the e it's not necessarily the ease it's just that the they i feel like they haven't had to really really try like they definitely had to try but it's not the effort that i would have expected um helps when katie and Kyrie are just not playing well other than Kyrie in game one um but yeah the sixers raptors i think was the only interesting one obviously we'll see what happens with him being in his thumb he he definitely has like ligament damage it's just he's not going to take surgery until the Sixers are out of like until the Sixers season ends um, in about a week's time. You were about to <laughs> give say out of the playoffs. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, good on Toronto for not getting swept, but that I think that has more to do with Philly's offense, just completely stagnating in the fourth quarter than Toronto doing anything special. But no, the Eastern conference is going exactly how I thought it would. And the West is been the interesting it's I think the Western Conference has been very interesting to watch, at least, and fun to watch. Um, Boston Nets, I think this is good for my soul because after last year's series, there was a lot of talk about how we have to bow down at the altar of KD. Oh, my God, don't you love KD? He's so respectful. He shows respect to Giannis. Look at KD. Oh, my God. I, I don't care. what. I, like, this dude is mercurial. He's like not he's fun to watch but like he, he's kind of a weird personality so I, I find a little bit of schadenfreude and everybody getting the knives i'll be like it's time to come for katie's legacy and i think Kyrie's gonna be right there and really you couldn't think of a better pair who mastermind this abomination of a team and then everybody's coming for them uh, and i don't know where they go from here because i'm sure they're gonna be in cap hell so good on you uh the celtics they're like i'm trying to get a vibe for 
how we're going to play them because they're obviously playing at a very high level. I, I'm just trying to think of like defensive matchups. I don't know how Robert Williams looked in game three. I didn't, I don't know if he even played all that much. I know he was available. Um, they're going to be an interesting challenge. I, I have no vibe for like how they'll be versus us with or without Chris, um, who's going to guard who Jason Tatum's obviously like he's continues to be on a heater. I think he was on a heater against us. Uh, so then the key is like, essentially I think it's going to come down to like, can we just make him take all the shots and see if he'll like single man beat us and everybody else, we can shut them down. So I'll be curious about how we scheme for, uh, you know, assuming we move on, uh, shouldn't assume anything, but assuming we do, um, for everybody else, yeah, I think Kyle's pretty much on the money. Like most of the series have gone as expected. I was really hoping Toronto was going to show a little more fights. Uh, I think Embiid and Harden have taken their their act- absolute slandering of the game to a new level. It's shameful <laughs> from the highlights I've seen. It's really bad. Now, here's my question for our on-the-ground report. Do Sixers fans acknowledge that what they're watching is criminal, or do they not acknowledge that? I do, there's nothing criminal about it. Like they're just getting to the free throw line and like, it's just basketball, man. Uh-huh. Like, you know, yeah, they're, I know. <laughs> stop falling and beat then. I my, my, if, my if, issue if anything, is, like, Embiid goes over more. to Nick Nurse and says, stop bitching. And then at the end of game four, Embiid sarcastically clapping to the referees. Like you can't, you can't be both. You can't bitch about someone bitching and then bitch yourself. Like, no, you got to pick one or the other. I have no love for the Sixers. If there's any way for both teams to lose a series, that would be one. But I, I I am enjoying a little bit of the Raptors smackdown uh, that is going on. Like, I just, I think they're a little bit of like everyone's, ooh, I love Nick Nurse. He's so amazing. I love him so much. <laughs> oh, Scotty Barnes. He's so long. OG Ananobi. I love Pasc- him. Pascal Siakam's like an yeah. old, like a young, old Giannis. God, it's- he's come back. And I, I was honestly, I'm honestly just like, Joel Embiid should eat you alive. You have uh-huh. like no one that's very large. Please, please just destroy them. And so I, I enjoyed the Sixers hopefully beating them down uh, in a series. But that being said, I, 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 I have no joy for the Sixers. And also, if I'm Steve Nash, I'm calling every soccer uh, studio to see if I can get that job back because he's going to get fired as soon as game four ends. I've just been so confused by the Boston uh, by the Boston Brooklyn series. I just don't, I have no clue what's going on with KD. I, I like I, I know we should you know, I, I what you said, Riley, I totally agree. It's nice to not bow at his altar, but like, why, why is he not for it for the thing about that that I just still don't understand about the Celtics defense is okay so they switch everything so like why is KD not like just getting Daniel Tice on a switch every single time and cooking him like he did that we just saw him did that that last year that, to the Bucks. that might require that might require active coaching that, and that's I, something say. something Steve tells Nash me. is going to be fired he's gonna <laughs> so, get back in the soccer studio and talk about the Champions League again like that's what he's gonna end up doing. That man um, will not have a job, or at least if a team of common sense would have fired him. Do, do you guys have any feel for going into, a, again, just all assumptions, but if, if we play the Celtics next, uh, do you guys have a feel for, without Chris, assuming Chris, I think they said it's going to be like two to three weeks, so maybe back half of a second round if we get there. Any feel for how we match up against the Celtics, this iteration of the Celtics without Chris, effectively, essentially? It interesting i still think the bucks can win but it's gonna probably be a six or seven and it's gonna be a tough six or seven uh but i do think Milwaukee can still win it's a team like boston if you can hit the open shots you'll be okay i think that's what really 
and that's why someone like Pat Connaughton needs to kind of get into that rhythm the next round or make sure Bobby Portis is in that rhythm. Grayson Allen, like Wes Matthews, those are the guys that are going to, like, if you're coming in and you need get an open shot, you need to take it and you need to make it because Boston's defense is good enough to win a series. Now their offense, you know, I'm going to assume that Drew is going to be on one of um, Marcus Smart or um, Jalen Brown. And then Wes Matthews will probably just take Jason Tatum. So I think if you can get Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown out of rhythm, then you Boston's offense is not what would concern me. It's their defense. So I, I think Milwaukee could still win without Chris, but it definitely makes it tougher. Yeah, I I don't I don't think the Bucks. I would not have the Bucks favored, frankly, without Chris Middleton. I don't think that's a I don't think that's a stretch given we would be without maybe you know maybe our second best player, but. I think it's it's really all going to come down to Giannis once again. Like he's the he's the clearest mismatch. Like, do they have enough people who can match up with him? I, it doesn't seem like it, right? But I also thought that going into the Bulls series, and he seemed to have a little bit of trouble for these first couple of games. So yeah. hopefully he'll find his way into the rhythm. But like when I look at it, I'm like, okay, Giannis, Daniel Tice. Mm, I think Giannis can take it. Giannis, Al Horford. Okay, we've seen this before. Giannis, Marcus Smart. Probably some flops in there. That's going to be annoying. Definitely like, some flops. It's good. That's going to be quite annoying. So it's going to come down, I think, all to Giannis. And then, like Kyle said, feeding off of Giannis. Guys being able to make their shots. If they're making their shots early, I think it opens up a little bit of that um, Celtics defense then to to allow you inside. So I think I think it, it'll definitely be a tough matchup. But I th- it's all going to come down to can Giannis be you know, the best player and lead you through it. So I, I think that's what, it, what, that's what it'll be. Cool. Yeah. It'll be exciting one way or the other. I think, uh, you know, this, this first series should have been a laugher. And then I am looking forward to seeing what it's like when, like we really have to dig deep in pretty much every single game. And I think the Celtics are going to hopefully bring the best out of the books. A shame that we're not going to have home court advantage, but Oh, well, that is what it is. Which is important for the fans to get their shit together. And now that it, once they get to the next round, this is when it starts getting serious. I'm going to need the fans to start taking this shit seriously as well. In the arena. Bucks Twitter will be serious regardless. <laughs> They'll be p- perhaps a little too serious. Maybe maybe a little too serious. Yeah. My, my blood did start to boil when I saw the Bulls fans on the on uh, like right behind the basket. I was like, oh my god. I... I can hate all of you people for no reason. Ugh. And and yet <laughs> for no reason. And yet there was nothing sweeter than literally for like an hour the the ESPN ABC like camera crew just do kept doing like just dead-eyed Bulls fans like, oh books are up 20, <laughs> books are up 25. And just shot of just people being like <laughs> just, <laughs> so you know, we paid them back uh one for sure. No I'm sure they had a great drive back to Naperville. Uh. <laughs> Well, the Bucks are up 3-1. We talked about potentially the Bucks moving on. Fingers crossed we didn't jinx it or anything. We'll see if the Bucks can close it out on Wednesday. Otherwise, next game would be Friday and then I think Sunday if it got all the way to We don't to need to worry seven. about that. Okay. <laughs> there we go, Kyle. <laughs> the <laughs> personal guy, the guy seal of approval. That uh, surely will not be clipped and pay us back at all in the future. That's right. fine. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll eat that crow if that happens, but we don't need to worry about that. All right. Sounds good. Well, share the podcast with your friends. We'll be doing this throughout the playoffs. I think we said... Last week, we might do it more frequently. Thank goodness we didn't stick to that so far. And so uh, we'll, we'll see when we come back. Maybe we'll we'll see where the books are next week. But 
Share the podcast with your friends. Also go on Twitter. Make sure to follow Brew Hoop. We've been doing spaces throughout the playoffs. Kyle is, is, is reviving. If you remember his Periscopes from back in the day, it's like that. But like he says, without the Kool-Aid jammer, without the video. It's cool. You can interact and everything. So it's a really cool feature. It's a fun thing to do through the playoffs. Go to brewhoop.com as well. We'll have all our usual articles, Monday morning media roundup, and uh, and whatever else we have on the site, game recaps, etc. So thanks again for listening. We'll talk to you again soon. Thank you.